Hello and welcome to Podcast by Brodies. I'm Margaret Taylor and in this series I'll be joined by Brodies experts and special guests who will share their enlightened thinking on innovation. From turning ideas into reality and reimagining processes and procedures to wholesale change, we'll discuss innovation in a legal context and in terms of its impact on businesses and individuals in Scotland, the UK and beyond. I'm joined today by Brodie's lawyers Maggie Nicholl, a litigation expert who specialises in insurance and risk, and employment and immigration lawyer Gillian Donald to discuss technology in the workplace. We'll take a look at why employers install tech and the trends and changing nature of technology in the workplace. We'll also explore some of the misconceptions and advantages for employers and employees. Maggie, shall we start by talking about how technology has transformed the workplace? There's been a lot of that in the last year in particular, but let's take a look over the landscape and what what employers are using now. Thanks, Mags. Yes, we've we've seen drastic change in the past year just with working from home, yeah. video calls and you know e-signatures, data rooms, electronic letters. We've also seen with the court system a real move to the 21st century in e-signatures, e-warrants, all the things which we used to have to do in paper we don't have to do, um, which, which is great. But looking forward to the future, we don't know what tech is going to be available over the next 5, 10, 15 years. And we already see emerging industries like the renewables industries. We see a growth in wind farms. So we see that technology we don't know about yet is going to be available. Mm. And what's going to be really interesting is how that interplays, one, with how people already currently work, Mm -hmm. but two with how the legislation currently is so we have new tech coming onto the market but you don't get a new bit of law or a new regulation every time you get a new bit of technology Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. if somebody is working with a new piece of equipment on a building site or in a workplace that is still going to be bound by the current legislation unless new legislation is drafted Mm -hmm. which means you have to think about the current health and safety at work act the current regulations and duties of care which are regularly updated, but not as quickly as we see technology moving. So in the future, we're going to have quite an interesting kind of balance between fast-moving tech and potentially slower-moving legislation. Mm-hmm. And in the last year, has it been the uptake of technology that, that's been moving so quickly, or, or has it been the actual development of it as well? I mean, it, it, is the current legislation fit for purpose in terms of the technology that's being used at the moment? So the interesting thing about the current legislation and particularly when we're thinking about health and safety, it's the Health and Safety at Work Act 1974, which Mm -hmm. is really king. The interesting thing about that is that it's quite a fluid piece of legislation. So it looks at key duties and responsibilities rather than setting anything down in stone. So the the key duty, if you're in a workplace, is that an employer has to, so far as is reasonably practicable, ensure health and safety of an employee. Now, that's a really fluid duty because it depends on each individual circumstance. So what is reasonable for somebody who works in an office and uses technology when it comes to e-signatures will be Mm -hmm. completely different to what is reasonable to somebody who's working on an oil rig and welding something. So what's good about the current health and safety legislation we have is that it's fluid and it is regularly updated, which means it's fit for purpose. But Mm you never quite know what's around the corner. Yeah, yeah. So, Gillian, that, that's it from a health and safety perspective. What, what about from a privacy perspective? What, what are the legal implications of that? As well as embracing benefits of technology, 
businesses need to keep in mind the legislation, particularly data protection law. Uh, businesses need to have robust, comprehensive data protection policies and privacy notices. If a business is using technology that collects information about their workers, for example, through monitoring emails and internet use, use of telephones, CCTV, video surveillance, they're processing the worker's personal data. And it's likely a data protection impact assessment needs to be carried out also. It doesn't mean you're not able to carry out the monitoring, but you're going to have to be able to justify that the processing by ensuring that there's either a legal obligation or a legitimate interest to do so. Mm-hmm. If justification is due to legitimate interest, that's still got to be weighed against any adverse impact on an employee, particularly keeping in mind human rights legislation and a person's right to privacy. Workers have a legitimate expectation that they can keep their, their personal lives private and that they'll have a degree of privacy in the workplace. Um Finally, also, we need to keep in mind that if a type of data is sensitive personal data, such as information about health, race, religion uh, and belief, there's more factors to consider as to whether processing is fair and you're not necessarily going to be able to rely on a legitimate interest to justify it or indeed by getting employee consent. Before GDPR, it was really common for employers to rely on having a worker's consent, perhaps in their employment contracts, to justify processing data and monitoring. However, since GDPR has been in place, the vast majority of cases, employers are not able to rely on that. The Information Commissioner's Office has specifically said that we have to have consent that's freely given. And it's unlikely in an imbalance of power between an employer and worker that that would be the case. So, for example, a worker might feel compelled to give consent because they think their job might depend on it as opposed to giving it freely, which is what is required. So I think an employer has to be aware just if they have consent from an employee doesn't mean they should be relying on that. That's really interesting from a a social media point of view. Everyone's on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever these days, aren't they? I mean, what's, what's the position from an employer's point of view in terms of what they can and can't do in relation to employees' social media? Social media is a a, a tricky one, isn't it? Because it covers such a wide uh, aspect. Because when we're talking about social media, we could be looking, first of all, about perhaps the business's own page, which is promoting themselves. You then have an employee's LinkedIn page. And this is kind of a bit of a hybrid, isn't it? Because on part of a LinkedIn page, what an employee is doing is perhaps promoting the company they work for. But separately to that, they're also promoting themselves and indeed have the scope for private comments. And then we go to the other end of the spectrum where we're looking at Facebook, Instagram and other sites that perhaps I'm going to give my age away by not being able to list at the minute, but would be more (laughs) private sites and personal information that's on it. So when it comes to thinking about protecting a business reputation on the company's own page, I think that's pretty obvious. It's something that the employer is going to be able to justify that they're doing. But when you're moving to the other end of the spectrum and you're thinking about the sort of sensitive personal data i already mentioned, Mm -hmm. which is likely to come out in a personal Facebook page, you might get to know stuff about an employee's uh, health, their ethnic origin, political Mm -hmm. opinions, religion and philosophical beliefs. And if you're getting that information and processing it, 
is it really going to be justified? Because that is then falling within the category of sensitive personal data. So I think there's a lot of there's a lot of issues with social media to think about. And if employers are going to be doing something like that, in addition to thinking about the robust data protection policy I mentioned, you also need to think about giving your employees fair warning about what you're doing through your IT, a social media policy, mm-hmm. and indeed a disciplinary policy in respect of managing employee conduct. Mm. So, Maggie, that's an interesting point, isn't it? Can, can social media be used in disputes, and and if it can, like how 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 can it be used? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, it is a real double-edged sword mm. in disputes. So, if if you look at you know, quite specifically personal injury, um, and and a claim from a claims defence point of view, if someone has raised a claim for personal injury, and say they have been injured at work and they are claiming that they have injured their back and they cannot work again and you know they're requiring physio and all sorts of um, assistance with that. But then on their social media, there's photos of them hand gliding or playing five-a-side football. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's really quite opposite to the claim that they're making. And you hear this quite often in the press about... Um, people that go on holiday and make claims for um, tummy trouble, gastroenteritis on holiday, but then put up Facebook pictures where they're sat by the pool and there's no problem. So social media can be really useful for certain types of claims, but it has a flip side in that if, for example, like Gillian said, we have company profiles, are you disclosing something on a company profile which will actually not assist you in claims defence? Is there something which you are saying which is prejudicial, which we wouldn't want you to be saying? Is there a photo that you have put up which perhaps you wouldn't want to disclose if you're aware of of what it can do? So social media can be really useful, but technology wide in a more kind of wider sense is also useful. For example, surveillance. So if somebody hasn't put up on their Facebook that they're playing five aside you can instruct surveillance on that person and then get a video of them and it can be it can be really quite long range mm-hmm. so you're thinking you know it's not like the paparazzi and they're close to these people and they could tell they're being followed someone could be surveying me right now and i wouldn't have any idea yeah. because that's the technology that's at people's disposal right now mm-hmm. so are are there any other pitfalls that employers need to be aware of perhaps one of the more interesting pitfalls to think about would be in respect to CCTV and video monitoring. And this is also a particularly difficult area. It's not unusual in context of discussion with employers to hear them say, don't worry, I've got CCTV footage to prove that this particular misconduct has taken place. Mm -hmm. But of course, we have to then look back and think, well, what was the purpose of you having that monitoring in place in the first instance? Was that simply for the security of your premises. And if that is why you have justified having CCTV in place, then you're not going to be able to use that for proving a conduct matter. Now, the advice from the Information Commissioner on this does predate GDPR, but is saying that we should really only be using CCTV footage if it reveals an activity that no employer could reasonably be expected to ignore, such as criminal activity, gross misconduct or breach of health and safety rules that jeopardise mm-hmm. other workers. So we have to be very careful whether actually the information that we have collated is something that we are able to use. Mm-hmm. So if, if those are the situations 
when you could use it? I mean, what, what kind of thing would they not be able to use it for? Like if they filmed an employee doing something and they weren't very happy about it? Yeah, absolutely. So if you've got if you've got a member of staff who isn't performing in the way you want, or perhaps has a conversation with an, a client, a key client, you've picked that up in CCTV, mm-hmm. and you want to then address that with them, and perhaps go through some sort of capability or disciplinary mm-hmm. process with them as a result of that, you've got to question whether you can actually use that type of evidence with them. Because if that's not in your privacy notice as the reason you are recording what's going on, then you've immediately got a data protection issue. You may also have right. some sort of breach of trust and confidence argument that mm-hmm. they could raise as well and look down a risk of constructive dismissal claims. Right, right. And I guess no one's going to have it listed, is that anyway? Because you're not going to say we have CCTV to spy on our staff. (laughs) You may have it in to say you're monitoring staff conduct, but whether, of course, that is fair is perhaps a whole other podcast, Maggie. (laughs) You might not have many staff if you do that. (laughs) Um, Maggie, we focused a fair bit on the downsides there, but there are very obvious benefits to having tech in the workplace as well. Could, Could you run through some of the main ones? Absolutely. I mean... Picking up on the example that Gillian has given about CCTV, which is monitoring an employee, looking at it again from a claims defence and health and safety point of view, if you have had an accident, and we've already discussed a potential injury in the workplace where someone injures their back or suffers a personal injury, if you have CCTV, that is unbiased. There's no issue that the CCTV will misremember what happens. It doesn't feel the emotions of being injured or seeing their colleague injured. So it's neutral in an explanation of incidents. And it can also be reviewed and repeated without changing what that CCTV has been recorded. Whereas we see with witness statements, sometimes the more revisions you take of a witness statement, things can be picked up or dropped in statements. So they can change over time, but but tech doesn't have that issue. It can also offer safety. So we have document controls in place, which can protect your clients and your businesses. You can have password protections, limits on how things are shared, which is useful just in a day-to-day situation. If you have a confidential contract, you want to watch how that is shared. But again, in a claims defence situation where you want to monitor what documents are being shared, what's being disclosed, if there's been a legal request for it to be disclosed, all of that can help out. I think tech also makes things faster and easier in the modern world. So every employer has a duty to maintain a place of work. Got to keep it to a reasonable standard so it's safe for the people who work there. Now, that's easier in some workplaces than it is in others. But if you have a fairly remote workplace and there's an issue there, how is that monitored and how is that reported? So using tech, you can have long distance monitoring. It's easy and quick to report. You can have online reporting and it's easier to arrange those repairs than if somebody had to fill in a paper form, post it off to head office and take yeah. a while to kind of see the, the issues there. But again, it's such a fluid area. I mean, we in our lifetimes have seen so much tech come around and be part of our day-to-day lives and we'll see that more. And that's the exciting thing as a lawyer is that the law is fluid. So mm-hmm. it can always be adapted and moved and changed. I mean, for example, right now, the MCA, the Maritime Coast Guard Agency, has done a trial of drones in the field mm-hmm. where it's at search and rescue operations. So rather than sending out Lifeboat or MCA people into the field to assist, drones were trialed 
which is faster because mm-hmm. a drone is up and in the air than we can get people in a boat and it's easier so these field operatives aren't put at risk but that can now be used in conjunction with what we already have with people who, who work in the field that's one use of drones but I could certainly see in the future regulatory observations of if someone is out on a fishing vessel and they're not wearing their life jacket will the MCA have a drone overhead and say you have x number of men on this vessel they were moving across they were on board they should have been wearing a life jacket they weren't here's 20 minutes of CCTV that shows that or regulatory fences with catch limits or where you're fishing which I think is a really interesting interplay with what Gillian's already mentioned about your privacy rights and why monitoring is happening because if you are working on a fishing boat in the middle of the North Sea and you're not wearing a life jacket which you should be doing and which would encourage everybody who's on a fishing boat in the North Sea to be wearing their life jackets please do you have an expectation of privacy there or would you expect a drone to be flying overhead well, that's really interesting isn't it I mean what, what would the expectation be yeah and and what our expectation is now will that be the same expectation of privacy mm-hmm. we have in 10 20 mm. years are we going to be more accepting of different types of of technology mm. Where does the law stand on that as things are? I I think it all falls back into what we've just previously discussed, isn't it? And for me, it's perhaps a little bit of a negative response because what we're looking at is back to thinking what the purpose of having that data is. The drone has recorded some information. We've got some sort of obvious video footage but is there something there in the background that says we were entitled to record that and ultimately use it without breaching privacy data protection law as we've discussed so I think this is an area as Maggie has said is uh, going to be a very interesting one to watch and uh, I think the best advice at the minute is specific New technologies are things that employers have to think through. There's some really exciting new technologies coming through. But in the course of thinking about the implications of them, it's worthwhile taking advice and making sure that other policies and supports that you have in the background are going to be sufficient to cover uh, the protections you need under data protection law as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, perhaps another bit of technology that's interesting to think about is you think about these smart devices that we could all wear that monitor our health and uh, mm-hmm. how many steps I have not walked in a day. But, uh, <laughs> you know, if you're looking at that, you're looking at recording, again, it's health information on that. Okay. So you've got to think a bit wider. So you don't want to see an employer encouraging employees to start wearing these sort of health monitoring devices, because then you go into another minefield about how on earth you're justified processing the information that you would obtain from it. So yeah. I think new technologies are really exciting, but we've always got to think through what the implications of them, what potential information they're gaining, what monitoring they're doing, and are we justified in doing it? Mm-hmm. So, Maggie, given those issues just outlined by Gillian, I mean, what, what would you say would be best practice for clients to follow when they're using technology? I think number one is think about why you want that technology. Mm-hmm. So what is the problem that you need to solve? What's the issue that you need to address? And is that technology going to meet that need? Because if it doesn't, are you just installing CCTV 
for the sake of it because everyone else on yeah. the street has CTTV or have you genuinely thought about a legitimate need you've explained it to your employees you've thought about an area that needs tech support but once you've moved past that and you have got some form of tech in your business whether it's you know document monitoring or CCTV or smart watches to tell us how many steps we haven't walked each day <laughs> you then have to know what tech you've got and your employees mm-hmm. and the people who are dealing with it have to know so for example if there's been an incident you would want to capture the data from that incident. So you'd want to have the CCTV and you'd want to have it preserved. But often there's quite quick wipe over times, especially on digital hard drives. So if you had an accident on site 24 hours ago, was that CCTV preserved? Because if it wasn't, it can be wiped after 24 or 40 hours. Mm -hmm. So you need to know the tech you've got and the limits that you've got with that tech so that you can make the most of it because there's no point in having a CCTV monitoring if it's wiped after 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And it's important for businesses to think kind of long range with this tech. So if there has been an incident and someone has suffered an injury, they could raise a claim up to three years from the incident. Okay. So you don't just want to keep it for a week until that person's injury is recovered or they're back at work after six months. You need to keep it for that whole length of time so mm-hmm. that it can be properly investigated. Otherwise, it's not of use to you. Sure, sure. Um, finally, if there was one key piece of advice that, that you would give or do give to clients on, on how to deal with all this, well, what, what would it be? My key bit of advice would be to take advice mm-hmm. on this because technology has the possibility to change our lives for the better and to be of really good use. It can save money, it can save time, it can be of great use to individuals and to businesses. But it's not always easy to know how to utilise that and we can't mm-hmm. be experts in everything. So my key bit of advice is to take advice from the people who know how best to utilise the tech so that you get the most out of it. Yeah. And I guess with it changing all the time as well, you need to keep taking advice, don't you? Absolutely. And not only when the tech changes, but when you change or when your business needs changed or when your employees change or when the rules and regulations change. Mm -hmm. So you need to to be up to date and prevention is always better than cure. Yeah. And Gillian, from from your point of view, what, what would the key piece of advice be? I would simply add on to what Maggie has said about taking advice, but also thinking a little bit widely as well in respect of implications of privacy, data protection law. We can get excited by bits of technology, but mm-hmm. we need to think through what the implications of what that technology does are. And mm-hmm. it's great to see uh, work place where we are now moving towards working more efficiently, working quicker, smarter, better. But we still always need to take advice and particularly think through the implications of the technology that's being introduced. You have been listening to Podcast by Brodies, where some of the country's leading lawyers and special guests share their enlightened thinking on the issues and developments impacting the legal sector and what those mean for organisations, businesses and individuals across the various sectors of the UK. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe to Podcast by Brodies on all the main platforms. For more information and insights, visit www.brodies.com. <laughs> <laughs>